I invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 1 in your copy of the scriptures. It's page 1154 if you're using the Pew Bible in front of you. Galatians. Galatians 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm working under an assumption this morning. None of us come to the scriptures as a blank slate. You have heard things that you agree with, disagree with. You have experienced things that you like and that you don't like. So there is none of us who comes to the scripture as a totally open mind, blank slate. I am working under this assumption that we would agree that there are many, many idols and false gods that are worshipped in our society. Not to mention the religions of the world. But have you ever thought that not only are there many idols or gods, but there are also many gospels that are believed to be the essence of Christianity? I have identified at least five Gospels that are preached in our culture that people believe this is what it means to be a Christian. The first is the Gospel of Comfort. We believe that God is a dispenser of health. And that is the God to which many people prayed when DeMar Hamlin collapsed on the football field in Cincinnati. Because Hamlin was a nice guy and young, people prayed that God would give him healing because the whole purpose of prayer is that God would make people well. The second God of of our culture is the God of convenience. Many people want a gospel that gets them to heaven, but doesn't inconvenience their lifestyle. They want just enough of God to ease their conscience. It was less than a month ago that many pastors were debating if worship services should be held on Christmas Day because their volunteers and congregants wouldn't make the effort on a holiday. Perhaps you saw this meme on social media. Vince says, now mama, you don't have to go to church to go to heaven. And Mama says, well, you don't have to wear a parachute to jump out of an airplane either. But it certainly helps. Many people want a gospel of convenience that doesn't cost us and does not inconvenience us. A third gospel 
is the gospel of currency. Faith and religious practices are simply a means to accumulate worldly riches. Too many preachers today equate God's blessing with abundant balance sheets. Yet some people say, I will attend church or give to a church so that God is pleased with me and God will bless my balance sheet. There's also a gospel of control. From the moral majority in our past to the current LGBTQ plus affirming congregations, many associate their gospel with political power. As, and I offer as evidence the way white evangelical is used in the media to describe a socio-political identity rather than anything that could be identified as the evangel, the gospel. The gospel of both extremes is simply to amass enough power to force compliance by those who disagree with them. And finally, I believe our society has a gospel of culture. In this gospel, the purpose of the church and its members is to fight for individual freedoms. If the culture legalizes a behavior or issues a mandate, then the purpose of the church is to fall in line and to bow the need bow the knee to progress. After all, of course you want to be on the right side of history, which they claim is their view of culture. Now, by identifying these five false gospels this morning, my goal is not to demonize others. But for us to each identify what type of gospel we are preaching with our words and our lives. Are we preaching comfort, convenience, currency, control, and culture? Or are we preaching Christ? The gospel being defended by Paul in the book of Galatians is God's true gospel. And the first description of God's true gospel is found in verse 3, where we see that God's true gospel is all of grace. Grace to us and grace to others. The true gospel is a gospel of grace, but grace is never deserved. We must start with first-person grace. First-person grace is when I admit that God has shown grace to me. That I have sinned. That I have transgressed. And that Christ has been gracious to me, not because I deserve it, 
Because God is gracious. And after we start with first person grace, then we can move towards second person grace. Those of you who have studied foreign languages are very familiar with first, second, and third person. First person is me, second person is you, and third person is he, she, or it. And after we have first person grace and we admit that God is gracious to me and I need his grace, then we move to second person grace. When I realize that I am a recipient of grace, I can extend the same to you. And if I have received forgiveness, I can give you forgiveness, second person grace. And thirdly, when our fellowship is characterized by grace, we can view the people around us as objects of grace. And we can proclaim a gospel that can win over those who are opposed to us. Because Luke chapter 14, verse 13 says, And the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. For us to go out with a compelling message, it's got to be a message that people desire. It's got to be a message that people want. And if we go out with a message of, you are a dirty, rotten sinner, and that's the end of our gospel, they're not compelled to take one step towards us. But if our I was a dirty, rotten sinner, and God forgave me. And so regardless of your situation, God offers you forgiveness. That becomes a compelling message because grace is never deserved, but it is freely given. When I think about grace, I also think of the term of unmerited favor. Unmerited favor is not favor based on what you will eventually do for me. It's not favor based upon because you're a good person, I will be kind to you. But unmerited favor says God chooses to be kind to us. God chooses to be gracious to us. God chooses to extend grace to us, not because we deserve it, but because of who he is. See, much of our witness is shaped by Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, that tells us, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not cast your pearls before swine. And so we read that verse and we say, I, I, I'm, I'm only going to evangelize those who I think are deserving or are those who are likely to receive it. But I believe we ought to turn six chapters to the right. From Matthew chapter 7 to Matthew chapter 13. Because in Matthew chapter 13 we read that a sower went out to sow and he sowed the seed and the seed fell on four different types of soil. He didn't only throw the seed on the good soil. He threw seed everywhere and it had four different responses. If you were here last week, you heard how compassionate questions can extend favor to gangbangers, an imam in Wichita, a crusty sailor, 
and inmates in Hutchison Prison. Not because they deserve it, but because God is gracious. Not only do we have the picture of unmerited favor, but we have God's grace that overcomes ickiness. You know, that it's possible for us to forgive other people who sin in ways that we might sin because that's not icky to us. Oh yeah, well, I, I tend to gossip so I can extend grace to the other person who gossips. I overeat so I can extend grace to the other person who overeats. I can be stingy rather than generous, as Trey illustrated in the kids' sermon, so I can extend grace to others who tend to be stingy. But if another person has icky sins, it's a little bit more difficult for us to extend grace. But I understand that if we are extending the grace of God, it may involve being nice in situations that we consider icky. There are some sins that are easier for us to tolerate. But Jesus extended grace to those in icky situations. He touched dead bodies. He reached out to the lepers. He helped up a woman caught in the very act of adultery. And the reason that we can extend this type of grace is because God's true gospel is a gift. God's true gospel is merited by the gift of Calvary. Any grace that you may extend in no way reduces your grace account. The grace that we extend to others is resourced by God Himself. And if we give grace to others, our grace doesn't decrease, but God has limitless grace so that we can give grace freely to those who are around us. Every single grace certificate, whether we redeem it for ourselves or we give it to others, that certificate is drawn from the bank of God. So we can freely give grace because it has limitless resources. Deuteronomy chapter 15 says, You shall give to him, the sojourner, freely, and your heart shall not be grudging when you give it to him, because for this the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. When we freely give grace, God is pleased and he blesses us in our ability to extend grace to others. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. We have a remedy. God's grace is a remedy for our sins. 
in the first line of verse 4. And some of us seated here today or listening via the internet need to acknowledge that Christ died for us and we need to redeem a grace certificate for our own transgressions. Some of us need to admit that I have transgressed the holiness of God, yet God extends, because of the sacrifice of Calvary, a certificate of forgiveness that I can cash in on the bank of God's grace. I noticed when I was looking at verse 4 this week that the word sins is plural. See, Christ's gift to deliver us is not only for sin singular that occurred in Eden and has been passed down to us genetically. It's not only that Christ died for sin, but Christ also died for sins. For individual offenses that we either knowingly or unknowingly have committed. And some of us simply need to say, I do not deserve this, but I claim the certificate of grace of God as forgiveness for my transgressions. It's not only, though, a transgression certificate, but the grace certificate is also a remedy for the present evil age that we see in the next phrase of verse 4. Christ's gift of deliverance is not only at death when we are delivered from the consequences of sin. But Christ's death on Calvary is also deliverance in our present evil age. Because Christ has paid the price to deliver us from original sin and sins that we commit, you no longer have to live in bondage to your hurts, to your habits, or to your hang-ups. You don't need to succumb to the idea that, well, the devil made me do it. Just because others are jumping off a moral bridge in our present evil age, The gift of God's grace to us makes it possible for you to remain firmly grounded if you are like the tree in Psalm number 1. Christ died to forgive our sins and to deliver us from the foolish, evil choices that are happening around us. It's a remedy for our sins. It's a remedy for this present age. And it is initiated, according to the scriptures, according to the will of our God and Father. Before you ever became aware of your sin, before you were born, before Eve ate that fruit, Before Adam was created, God had a plan. And the will of God is to extend His grace to our sins in the present evil age. As a kid, 
I would tend to browse the toy section of the newspaper ads beginning in November. I didn't care about the rest of the newspaper, didn't even read the funny pages. But the toy ads, at that day it was for Venture. Venture was a store in Kansas City, Kansas that would advertise in the newspaper. And beginning in November, I would look over each page of those toys and I would compile a list. Um, A list that would be conveniently left out for my parents. I did not mail the list to Santa. I just left the list out where mom and dad could find it. And often my list was much more opulent than my parents' budget. My wife has mastered this skill with the advent of an Amazon feature known as My List. And that's all I'm going to say about that. While we were away, though, Ann and I found out that one of our two grandsons now has a great affection for rocks. Maybe he's the next Luke Coke. I don't know. But he loves rocks. As a matter of fact, his teacher has a box of polished rocks. And if Lennon has a good day at school, he gets a rock. So rocks are a good thing. And when I found out that Lennon has a great affection for rocks, Thursday of this week, a package arrived in La Crosse, Wisconsin, with a segmented plastic box so he can keep and organize his rocks. That plastic tackle box was not initiated by him. He never mentioned anything to either Ann or I. But by the desire of someone who loves him and has the ability to meet his needs and his desires, the gift of a box arrived in the mail. Initiated by the will, I'm not calling myself God but someone who loves us and someone who has the ability to intervene in our situation. We receive grace because of the gift of God given to us through Christ. God initiated a plan for our deliverance before we even thought to ask. Because God's gift of grace is not primarily to make our lives easy. The first reason for God to be gracious to us is that God's true gospel reveals glory. Glory that belongs to God himself. See, God is totally self-sufficient. It's what we call in theology a seity. Before the very first planet or star was created, God was already complete in love, mercy, holiness, unity, and all of his other attributes. God was full and complete in himself. He does not need us to add to it. 
See, we don't add to God's glory. But when we understand what grace means to us, the more we understand the gift of Christ, the more our attention is drawn to the glory that already exists in God. In front of this pulpit is a beautiful flower arrangement. You may have not even noticed it because Karen is so good at consistently placing beauty in our worship space. But if I turn on this flashlight and direct it upon the white petals, we become more aware of the beauty that already exists. We become more aware of the glory that is already present. And the more we understand the gift of Jesus extended to us in grace, the more we become aware of God's great glory. As we follow Christ in discipleship, our awareness of the extent of God's grace that was given to us by Christ's sacrifice continues to add lumens and to make the light brighter. When I realize that God's grace helps me to be a better dad... It's amazing grace. When I realize that God's grace helps me to be a better husband, I realize how much more important that grace is. When God's grace enables, when I understand how it helps me to be a better neighbor, it adds lumens to the glory of the grace that God extends to us. Each time we experience God's forgiveness, each time we observe the Lord's Supper, each song we sing that expresses His goodness in a different way, each time we are able to forgive an offense, it makes us more aware of how glorious the gospel is that emanates from our God. See, not only is God's glory magnified in our awareness, but God's gift is accompanied by a commission. So let's go back and look at the first two verses of this book. In the first two verses, we see that God's true gospel gushes forth. That's the word apostleship. Paul says he is an apostle, not for a man or through man, but through Jesus Christ. Because apostleship originates in God. It's God who chooses to send out representatives. See, the background of this book of Galatians is that Paul had been sent on his second and third missionary journeys to the region that is known as southern Galatia. He was sent by God and he preached the gospel where it had not been heard. And many turned from their pagan ways to accept the gift of God's deliverance in Christ. Then, a self-appointed group of experts 
took it upon themselves to go to these churches and to insist that Paul's gospel was inadequate. And you need to add to what he said. You need to add to God's grace by observing certain rituals. And so Paul says, unlike that group that was self-appointed and took it upon themselves to come, he says, I was sent by God through direct revelation by Jesus to go as a sent one. That's what the word apostle means. Someone who is sent. And apostleship is still God's chosen method. God continues to send into our community. The word apostle can be used two ways. Strictly, we read of the apostles, which was for those who had seen the resurrected Christ. Eleven saw him in the upper room. Paul saw him in direct revelation on the road to Damascus. And so here we have the twelve who are the apostles. But apostles can also be used of any person who is sent by authority. When you are sent to get your brothers and sisters to get cleaned up for supper, you are being an apostle. It's simply someone who is sent by someone who has authority. And that continues to be God's method today. God sends some cross-culturally, And God sends others out of the salt shaker of this room and into our world to season that which is around us. Because Romans chapter 10 verse 15 tells us, How are they to preach unless they are sent? And we are the sent ones. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of preachers who preach the good news. How beautiful are the feet of missionaries who preach the good news. The verse says, how beautiful are the feet of any who proclaim the gospel of grace from God through Christ. And this apostleship is fueled by our view of eternity and our compassion for others. Two weeks ago, our own Frank Hinkson mentioned that we need to move away from this temporal world and to focus more on the eternal. And the more we focus on the eternal, the more our sentness will be fueled to go to those around us. Ten days ago, DeMar Hamlin awoke after a tragic moment on the football field before a national TV audience. And his first question that was reported is, did we win? And the doctors told him, yes, you won the game of life. Now, I don't want to be cruel in any way, and I'm glad that he was restored and he's been released from the hospital. But besides the board game, nobody wins the game of life. Events may give you more time, but eventually we each lose the game of life. 
And our awareness of eternity will fuel our setness to those who are around us. Eternity fuels our efforts to spread the true gospel. Last week, my friend Dennis led us in an exercise that helped us to see the value of listening to the thoughts and the feelings of others. Apostleship also connects others with the God who loves them. One way that we can be strategically and specifically caring is to pray with and for our neighbors. My call for us in 2023 is to pray with and to pray for our neighbors. Why the importance of prayer? Ian e. Bounds is an American author who died 110 years ago after writing 11 books. And nine of those books focus on the subject of prayer. And in one of those nine books, entitled Pray Without Ceasing, it includes the quote, Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. If you want to make a difference in our world, it begins with prayer that will move the hand of God. That's why I call us to pray with and for our neighbors. D.L. Moody said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. So that's why we are going to be praying to move the hand of God amongst our neighbors. And when we pray and the hand of God begins to move, it results in more disciples. When we become more aware of the gospel, it adds lumens to our flashlight on God's glory. But when our awareness of the true gospel compels us as set ones, it increases the number of flashlights that are all magnifying God's glory. This isn't about church growth. It's about God's glory. And God being glorified by more and more lights as more and more people follow after Christ. Our final song this morning is one that you have not sung these words. So just as Jan took words that we knew and added a little bit of swing to it, I've taken the tune, I haven't taken, I found the tune, Old Lang Syne. And to that tune, we will sing, we will commit ourselves to increasing the glory of Christ in Chase County. Stand with me as we sing together.